I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listen as my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Money Expresso. I hope you're well. Now I'm going to start today's podcast by reading a review that was recently left for me and Money Expresso on Apple Podcasts. It's from a guy called Dan A. And he says, thoughtful conversations on the intersection of money and life. Ruth facilitates some really interesting conversations with her guests. I've enjoyed hearing people share their personal stories of how they've navigated the complex intersection between money and life. Do grab a coffee or plug in on your walk and have a listen. Thanks ever so much, Dan. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And I'd love it if um, any of you listeners could do the same thing. It really does help other people find our, our podcasts and messages. Now, you keen listeners out there will have heard me say at the end of Patrick Hunt's wonderful podcast that today's guest is Neil Beige. Well, Neil only went and got the COVID. And so instead today we have the irrepressible Chris Budd. Chris is a man of many talents, as you'll hear. He's a business founder, author, speaker, podcaster, coach, musician, and force behind the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing. Chris generously shares the events that shaped his life and led him to understand that life is not about accumulating money. It's about finding what truly makes you happy and using money, which more often than not is less than we think it's going to be, to support that end. Chris is on a mission to equip more financial advisors, planners and coaches to support their clients to find their true meaning. Take a listen to the conversation now. Chris, good afternoon. It's an absolute delight to get you on the podcast at last. Welcome. Good afternoon. And it happens to be a beautiful sunny day as well. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous here in London as well. Um, Chris, I'd love to know how, in a nutshell, you got to be the founder of this amazing new organization called the initiative for financial well-being could you tell us more i can it's quite a big nutshell but uh, <laughs> probably more like a coconut shell but i'll try and <laughs> condense it down um so i had been a financial planner for 20 years i sold my business to an employee ownership trust um and i set up a new consultancy business trying to help other companies to do that something obviously paradigm not to know all about and um then lockdown hit and uh, ideas of succession planning and business planning, etc., kind of got put on hold by a lot of people. So um, I sat at home and uh, I put up a put up a tweet. I said, if anybody, you know, if I did a, if I did a if I did a conference on money and happiness, would anybody want to come? And uh, thirty five people said yes. So one of those, oh God, I've got to do this thing now, <laughs> kind of moments, you know. Um, so we had this fantastic conference, and then we had a, a, at the end of that, I said, look, what do we do next? I put out a press release. I got one thing led to another, and it was just an idle Thursday afternoon tweet that led to this kind of snowball effect. And it became really clear that there's a real appetite out there amongst advisors for the next level, if you like, of financial mm. advice, financial planning. Um, 
but they didn't know a lot about it. So they just wanted to get together, meet like-minded people and just share ideas, really. Uh, so that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years, trying to, trying to just give people the tools to focus their advice on happiness, not just on money. That's fascinating. And I'm definitely going to come back and dig around a little bit more about that subject because it's a subject that's also very close to my heart. But what I'm going to do, Chris, is take you scorching back um, to being a young boy. And I'd love to know, what, what was money like for you growing up? Uh, I I was lucky. My, my, my Well, I thought I was lucky. My family were... Uh, moved out of Bristol into Somerset where I grew up and, and I now live um, and my dad was my, my grandfather was a road sweeper uh, my dad uh, kind of became the new middle class uh, and he did all right but I learned a very very valuable lesson from my father um, and so when I set up in business and I would never have told him this but I always did everything that he didn't <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that well um, so I was, uh, he, he did quite well for himself, he was a financial advisor, um, and he did all right when things were going well, but then things didn't go so well. And uh, we were on holiday in France, for, uh, actually a golfing holiday with a buddy of his, when um, we got back and he had some news, and I had no idea what this news was, and it turned out that a policy he'd set up had cancelled, and he had to pay back a little commission that he'd used to pay back mortgage arrears, and mm -hmm. a whole situation unravelled. And um, it was a very, very horrible period of time. It still scars me now, as you can probably hear in my voice. Yeah. Um, and Dad made some, several mistakes. He didn't talk to his family. Mm. Um, he, when things were going well, he spent the money on things to impress people because that's what you did in yeah. you know the 80s. Um, so he bought a Jag. It was an old second-hand Jag, but it was still a Jag. Uh, he had um, a Bang & Olufsen stereo. He had a soda stream. And that soda stream, <laughs> that soda stream was a real symbol. It was really funny. But all my friends would take the mickey at me for being rich because we had a soda stream. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, not the B&O stereo then. No, no, I don't think they understood that. Um, but they could get fizzy pop on tap. And I think that yeah. was probably quite cool. Um, so then my dad, this all happened in my uh, mid-20s when I was earning okay. And um, I supported him and emotionally and financially and just watched the complete destruction of this man's pride. It was mm. awful. He was never the same man again. Um, and it was partly his fault. I don't think fault or blame is the right word in such circumstances, because mm. a lot of it was the economy of the time. But um, when I then set up my business, I decided back in 1998, I decided to charge time and to build up retainer fees and to get not, not be dependent upon the sale each month, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was quite ahead of its time at the time. Um, and yeah, so so that's kind of my relationship to money has been quite complicated, but I think it's very much informed by watching the destruction of the pride of my father. God, that's really sad, isn't it? And um, it, it it's did did he cease working or did he kind of carry on or what? what I employed him for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he brought a few of his clients uh, over to me, although they were mainly more of a hindrance than a help. If I'm honest with you. Yeah. Um, and uh, I employed him for a few years as I kind of helped him into retirement. Um, he was great support to me. He was a wonderful man, uh, and I loved him dearly. Mm. Uh, but he uh, he was a product of the times. And you know, mm. this is why I'm very 
not just because he's my dad, but I'm I'm very uh, forgiving on what he was like. Yeah. Uh, because he was, it's what you did then. He was a product of the times, um, and it's just that those times, as I did many people in the recession of the early nineties, bit him back big time. You know. Mm, yeah, and you you mentioned that um, your dad didn't involve the family in the money conversation. So, with with him and your mother, was it your your father who worked in money, and therefore he made all the money decisions? Is is that how it played out? Yeah, yeah. Although ironically, uh, my mum's the hoarder. So uh, when <laughs> it's a classic 1970s family, um, yeah. when she, when when dad was going through these struggles, mum would still be paying the bills because she was putting the 10 P's away. Mm. Um, so actually, it's quite a very interesting, different relationship to money that the two of them had. My mum still liked that. Mm -hmm. um, she's still putting the pennies away, even when she can't really fish. She just, you know, that's what you do. That's her generation. Um, whereas my dad got bitten by the 80s bug and, and that generation was, was spend, 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 you know, which... Um, arguably hasn't really stopped <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a society but uh, no the, the, the difference was really quite marked actually quite interesting um but financial planning wasn't really a thing then um and so it wasn't about planning for the future it was about i've never had money before yeah. i'm gonna blooming well enjoy it and yeah. i can't really argue with that i can't blame him for that but and it's like i say i saw the long-term impact of it and it is one of those conversations we have with our clients, isn't it, whereby we're trying to get them to make sensible plans for the future and live a life at the same time. And it's about finding that balance. So it's understandable, you know, that that's such a hard thing to do, isn't it? Because it's very hard for us to recognise or imagine our future selves. I think there's a ton of research around that. There is, absolutely. RFW's done some research with Aegon about that, about the future self. Yeah. Um, but one of, the, one of the things is uh, we make, we make money decisions with our gut um if anybody knows that that system one and system two thinking it it's gut decisions are system one decisions and we that's how we approach money and the reason for that is because in order to make considered careful decisions we need time and we need information or knowledge and the one thing we have no knowledge or information about is the future so consequently, it's really, really hard to imagine your future self and to make decisions which are going to impact the future. So consequently, we tend to make money decisions with system one, with gut decisions, and therefore we tend to make bad money decisions. So the more information that we can get about the future, the more likely we are to make a considered, intelligent decision about money. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And what's going through my mind there is, um, how the financial services industry doesn't necessarily help with uh, given relevant information. But let's not go down to that uh, rabbit hole right now. We may well come back to it, Chris. Um, but I'm, I'm interested. So you've got your dad who spent what he'd got. You've got your mother who was hoarding. What's your relationship with money become? I've always liked to say that I come from the School of Financial Planning, which is don't do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, uh, do you know the Trigger's Broom philosophy? I don't think I do. Oh, I love the Trigger's Broom philosophy. So Trigger was from Only Fools and Horses and he was a road sweeper. <laughs> And there was an episode where he talked about, I've had this same broom for 17 years as a, as a, as a road sweeper. And it's 17 years, Trigger, really? Yep. Same broom, 17 years. I've changed the handle eight times and the brush six times, but it's the same broom I've had. <laughs> I love that philosophy. So my student overdrafts is exactly the same. I still have my student overdraft. I've got a wonderful record collection that it paid for. And um, every few years I would 
roll it into a new personal loan and then it would be a credit card debt and then it'd be another personal loan and now it's been part of the mortgage i don't i couldn't pinpoint it anywhere but <laughs> I, I still got my student loan which paid for my record collection i'm secretly quite proud of that <laughs> i can imagine i can imagine so my but relationship with money has has been one of um not concentrating enough if i'm absolutely honest with you mm. and I've, I've, I've if i have to work harder to oh christ i got into a bit of trouble i'll go and work harder and, and do something about it you know yeah it's not very healthy i wouldn't recommend it to people it's quite stressful <laughs> well it's very honest chris though and like you know thank you for sharing it because um you know just because we are financial planners and we've got all the qualifications you know we're just humans at the end of the day as well aren't we so uh... well i i now i've come to a realization Ruth, and i want to share this because I, mm. I think this is really important okay and this is actually my relationship to money now what i described was my relation to money in the past but now mm. it's slightly different i'm in a fortunate position that i'm okay all right. I've sold my business to an employee ownership trust. I'm by no means wealthy, uh, but I'm okay. And so I've realized that there are three steps to financial well-being. All right. Yeah. Three steps. That's all you need to take. Firstly, step two. Start off with step two and realize that what makes you happy is internal. The stuff mm -hmm. that leads to well-being and to happiness, it's not approval of others. It's not having a Bang Olufsen or a Jag to, because it impresses other people around the estate. Um, it's about internal joy, internal self-worth. Now, that's step two. Step three, then, is, well, if that's what step two is, what steps, how do we get internal self-worth? And the key to that is compassion, mm -hmm. is uh, what the Dalai Lama calls having a warm heart. It's being considerate and caring to people. That brings you joy. Now, now we've realized those two things, we can go back to step one, which is to have a clear financial plan. But you can't start off with that because you can't, you need to see past it to see what steps two and three are to be able to embark on it. And I've only realized step two and step three are there once I got a bit of financial security and I was able to calm down and relax a little bit and actually think about life and not about i've got to look after my family I've got to look after my family if you have what we call in the ifw one of our five pillars of financial well-being a clear path to identifiable objectives if you have that in place and you can stop the kind of lifelong panic which is our relationship to money then you can see steps two and step three internal self-worth and compassion and kindness mm, i like that um, but it, what you also explain there, Chris, and, and I think I can relate to it as well, being in a you know, not dissimilar situation to you having um, also sold my business and, you know, being OK, is to be able to get that foundation of um, money in place does allow you to have a lot more generosity of thought and action. But it's getting there, isn't it? So, you know, I'm kind of thinking back to my 30-year-old self and thinking, blimey, yeah, you know, I, I certainly didn't know that then. And, and I think that's the challenge, isn't it? That you, you kind of have to go through a bit of a life in order to actually realise those things. So how can we help people at a younger age make better decisions who maybe haven't found their internal, internal joy or self-worth? Um, 
We don't necessarily have to answer that question now because we we again we might we might lead into it. But well, um, I, I, I I would I, I think it yeah. goes back to planning. It comes back yeah. to planning. So there was a conversation um, with a young advisor who's just setting up their own business, um, and a lot of the business advice that you see in the world generally is about growth. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a lot of the pressure put on us from advertising, from TV shows like Apprentice and Dragon's Den. Success equals wealth. Yeah. Um, everything that we see in life, um, social media, you know, Instagrammers. Mm. You don't get Instagrammers that boast about how happy they are, do you? You get Instagrammers that boast how wealthy they are mm -hmm. um, and how to get rich quick. All, all this kind of builds up to uh, a narrative which is around ways that you can get rich and famous. Um and there's a very uh, a wonderful, um, it's actually a TED talk about a Harvard business study, which they went to, um, they, they went to a load of uh, Harvard University students and also a load of uh, local poor people in Boston, all 18 year olds. And they said to them, about 950 or so of them, what do you think will make you happy? And overwhelmingly, they answered fame and money. They then went back and they've been every two years asking those people, are you happy? And what is making you happy or unhappy? And they've never been doing that for some 80 years. There's yeah. still some left. Yeah. <laughs> and what they have found was, unsurprisingly, fame and money had no impact on their happiness whatsoever. The biggest impact by a considerable distance was the quality of social relationships. Not the quantity, the quality even to the extent that people who reported loneliness died younger. Mm. So what I would want to do would be go back and speak to kids at school. Financial education at school shouldn't be about what is an ISA, how do you get a mortgage, how do you buy your first house? It should be about relationship to money. What's going to make you happy and how can you use money to do that, knowing that the things that make you happy is not fame and, and wealth, but quality of social relationships. I'd go back to those people who get advice on their businesses and I wouldn't talk to them about how to grow as fast as possible and how to increase income and maximizing profit. I'd talk about, well, what do you want from this business? Is it giving you the things that are going to give you joy? Because mm. otherwise, what's the point? You know, so that's what I would do. I would go, I would send a message back and say, it's not about what you think it's about. And the people who are talking to you have got a vested interest in making you think a certain way. Advertising, trying to get you to buy things. Advertising makes you unhappy in order that you can buy the product that will then make you happy again. Cut this, understand this sort of stuff and you can cut that out of your life and massively increase your happiness. It's hard though, isn't it? With the bombardment of consumerism and capitalism within which we live. Um, how did you kind of get this wisdom, um, Chris? I'm, I'm fascinated to know. Well, thank you for calling it that. I'll, I'll accept that one. Um, so my, my, I mean, I've been doing it. So I, I need to just get a story out of the way, Ruth. Okay. Mm, please do. Um, because I started my financial advice business in 1998 with a massive chip on my shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. I'd seen what had happened to my dad. I was determined not to sell products for commission, which was the norm then, yeah. and instead charged time, which was completely unheard of. And as far as I was concerned, I was the only person in the world who'd had this idea. Right. <laughs> so I go to a meeting of uh, one of our trade organizations called the Initi sorry, excuse me, um, the Institute of Financial Planning. And in that, that meeting, I meet a chap and he says, 
you know, it's the first time I'd been out into the industry for years. And he, a very nice bloke, he said, what do you, what is it you're doing? And I went off on one. I got my, my salt and pepper out of my chips and I, um, I've, I fully went on, on my high horse and uh, I told him all about how I was fee-based. I don't believe in commission, blah, blah. I, I mean, I was really quite obnoxious. That was David Norton. Oh. <laughs> And for the, for the <laughs> listeners who, who don't know, Paradigm Norton, uh, David Norton is the Norton part of the Paradigm Norton name. Um, and he, he virtually invented fee-based financial planning mm. in the UK. And oh, even been before it, you, Chris? Oh, years before me. Years before I made such a complete pillock of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and he was so sweet. And he just said, that's very interesting. Good luck to you. And then somebody, I said, who was that bloke? He's a really nice chap. He said, David Norton, oh, my God, what have I just said? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um part of my realization was it wasn't about the money we came from my dad's story mm. um the second i guess part to it was um because of a place called the penny Braun cancer center mm. which uh listeners who don't know it is a charity in bristol just around the corner from you guys um and what they do is they help people to use their phrase live well with cancer and it's about complementary therapy and uh, my wife is an oncology nurse she gives the chemo in Bristol um, and she also worked at Penny Bron. and when she first started there she was telling me about the work that they do and she was explaining about immune cells that we have in our body and these immune cells they have a video that they show at the Penny Bron Centre of, of um, an immune cell an actual individual immune cell in my language walking up to uh, a cancerous cell and eating it yeah <laughs> oh my god that's so powerful well hang on a minute if immune cells fight the bad cells, as well as, you know, chemo zapping the cancerous cells, shouldn't we also be supporting the, the good cells, the immune cells? And so that's what Pelibron is all about. And there's masses of science behind it. Um, complementary um, therapy, also uh, lifestyle prescribing is a, is a real growing area. So when my wife told me about this, um, I kind of had a light bulb moment. I said, well, hang on a minute. One of the biggest causes, so stress is a really bad thing for immune cells. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest causes of stress is worries about money. Yeah. So in this car journey to Oxford, I turned to her and I said, I know, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it How Financial Planning Can Help Prevent Cancer. <laughs> and she kind of looked at me and went, um, I don't think you should. Audacious <laughs> title, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so we rode back a little from there and I came up with the title Financial Wellbeing instead. And uh, that wrote the book and, and you know, the, and, and it's kind of taken off a bit. So, mm. um, but that, that was a real epiphany to me. Hang on, there's more to money than just, and I've been looking for this for quite a while. Um, actually, another little epiphany was I had a PA, Sarah. Hello, Sarah Brown. Um, PA for many, many years, lovely lady. And she resigned. And when she resigned, I kind of had an exit interview. And I, I said, why? I thought you love this job. He said, I do, I do. I just don't want to help rich people to get rich anymore mm -hmm. oh yeah. that hurt that really hurt so that kind of started me looking for this and then that conversation my wife made me realize i found it so i spent quite a few years researching the relationship between money and happiness and i've I, endlessly fascinated and that that, I, that is that's you perfectly explained your your journey there chris and so what was it that led you to send that uh twitter post about the conference um, and, and happiness. Was it the combination of this thinking or was, it, was there something else that gave you that trigger? Well, I guess um, there's two things. One was I was a bit bored. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> be careful what you do when you're bored on social media. Um, but also, I, I took a principle when I sold um, Ovation to an EOT, and I could do anything at all. You know, the next phase of my career, I could do absolutely anything. And I love EOT. So I decided that that was going to be promote the idea of employee ownership because I've, I've got a real belief that that could really make a difference to the world. Mm. Um, but I also decided a second principle was that I was going to say yes to everything. OK. And um, well, I, so I've, I'm halfway through uh, writing another book and the provisional title of it is how to be moderately successful. <laughs> And the reason for that title is because I was so fed up with seeing blogs and articles about things, top tip, top 10 tips of the rich yeah. um, or habits of the billionaires, this kind of rubbish. Now, you usually involve having to get up at five in the morning and eat nuts or something. It's just not and my a cold shower. Don't forget a cold, cold shower. shower. Yeah, <laughs> several times. Well, I nap, right? <laughs> Napping is not cool, but I love a nap. <laughs> and in fact, it really sets um, the reason I'm perky now is because I had a nap an hour and a half ago. Right. <laughs> so that, that's not something you'll see in the top 10 tips of the rich and famous. So um, I've started writing this book about about which is kind of based upon that idea of, about how to be moderately successful, which means successful on your terms. Right. successful for what success means for you not mm. other people mm. and that's kind of the key to it so that this all comes back to the principle of just saying yes to things top 10 tips of the rich and famous is say no to stuff that other unless it makes you money no say yes to everything and see what happens that's what i've been doing for a few years so i had this silly idea of running a financial well-being conference so yeah go for it see what happens what's the worst that could happen well actually it turns out the worst that could happen is everybody says yes please <laughs> <laughs> And so that led to the initiative for financial well-being. Yeah. So at the end of that conference, I, I said to everybody, "Look, what next?" I put out a press release a week later and said, um, "In the in the trades." Um, and I thought, if I get the thing, if we set up an institute for financial well-being, would anybody be interested? Um, and uh, four hundred and thirty people emailed me. Absolutely blew me away. But I had a bit of a problem because I put out this press release talking about the Institute of Financial Wellbeing. But it turns out you were not allowed to call something an institute without the express permission of the Secretary of State. Oh. So thinking quickly on my feet, I thought, well, if I just keep saying IFW and then call it the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, nobody will notice. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we're currently applying for Institute at the moment. Hopefully that will go through and we, we, we will get there in the end. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations, Chris. It's like, it, you know, that's that's a you know a massive feat to set up an organization um from scratch and uh and so tell me where is the ifw now and what's its bhag its big hairy audacious goal we well that that is i want to change the world i want to make the world a happier place um in, in a nutshell um we know research tells us that there is a limit to how much more money will make you more happy mm. Um, there's one bit of research in America which talks about an income of $100,000 a year. Anything more than that will not make you any more happy. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say what that number should be. I, I don't think I should say whether it's 100,000 million or 10 million. I don't think that, that, that that's appropriate. But I do know you don't need 100 million to be happy. Mm. I know that. The research tells us that. So if that number is different for everybody... But it's also the one thing I learned from 20 years of, uh, of being a financial planner is that um, when you do work out that number for people, it's almost always less than they thought it was going to be. So if we can get um, a thousand members mm -hmm. and those thousand members each have 
uh, 100 clients. Yeah. So that's 100,000 of the wealthier people in the UK. Yeah. Then, and we can get those people to realize that actually they don't need as much money as they thought they did, that they can focus their wealth on being happy, not just accumulating more of it, that if they've got more than they need, well, here's some ways of spending it to make you happy, such as philanthropy. We can make some real societal impact. We can really make some change in the world. And ultimately, that's what it's for. It's to equip advisors to have conversations which give them better businesses because they have more loyal clients and they have happier clients and the world will be a better place. I, the, the, yes. I mean, all I can say is yes. It, it's, it, it just seems... You know, when somebody says something and in, in a way it feels so obvious, but but it isn't, is it? And what's going through my mind is why have we got a financial services industry that is focused on seemingly endless accumulation? And what does that mean for uh, not, not only our clients, because hopefully our clients have some different conversations, but what does that mean for people in general and society at large this this kind of things that being pushed at people i, I think i think it, there's an old phrase isn't it that, that the people get the government they deserve um you could say the same thing about the financial advice community you know mm. you get the financial advisors that you ask for and one of the one of the issues here is that when somebody goes to a financial advisor the thing that they ask for is not the thing that they end up appreciating Tell me more. So, well, somebody goes to a financial advisor and says, um, and the financial advisor says, hello, thank you for coming. How can we help you? I'd like a pension review, please. Cracking. Now, most financial advisors will then say, great, well, this is what a SIP is. And um, you've got eight pensions. And this is how I can put them all into one place, manage them in the portfolio, look at your risk. Bam. Great. Does a good job. Yeah. What the client actually was saying, however, is I'm 52 my pensions are set to retire at 65. That means I've got 13 more years to work. I'm in a job that I hate. I don't have meaning and purpose in my life. My boss is horrible to me and I'm feeling depressed. That's actually why they went to see the financial advisor. But they wouldn't say that because they don't realise that's why they go to see the financial advisor. So if you get somebody who says, how did you come up with 65 as an age to retire? What's mm -hmm. relevant about that age? Mm -hmm. If you get a conversation going, the client opens up. The thing that they will end up appreciating is that you create a cash flow forecast and a plan that helps them retire at 58 to make stained glass windows because that's actually what they want to do with their lives. Yeah. And I always use that stained glass windows example because I know somebody that made a stained glass window for me and that's exactly what happened to him. Mm -hmm. So um, the thing that people come to advisors for is not the thing that they really appreciate if the job is done in, a, in the right way. And I would just share a little comment from a meeting I had prior to this meeting with a business owner who wanted to talk about employee ownership trusts and talk to me about consultancy for that. Because um, one of the questions I always ask business owners is how much do you need to sell the business for? And they always say, well, I, I, um, three million or it's worth two million. It's always a very round figure. <laughs> um, and I say, well, that's great, but that wasn't actually the question. How much do you need to sell your business for? And very, very rarely can people answer that question. I couldn't have done what I did with my business unless I took financial planning. I'm a financial planner for 20 years. I paid somebody to do my financial planning for me. And I wouldn't have had the knowledge to be able to, the insight to be able to sell my business. Now, I was talking about this with this lady and she said, no, I don't have a financial advisor. I've talked to a few, but all they ever seem to want to do is just put my pensions into one place and charge me a fee. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
sadly true. So there is um, so much more that can be done. And the IFW is about equipping people to have those much more conversations. And it's a much more fun, as you know only too well, mm. uh, Ruth, there's a much more fun way of doing the job. Yeah, definitely. No, you, you've summed that up beautifully. And we, we Chris, I mean, you, you're a, a successful or a moderately successful businessman. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're, no, I accept, I'll take that. <laughs> You're an author. I think you've written the Financial Wellbeing book, a book on employee ownership, three novels, and we've got the new one you've told us about, the moderately successful uh, How to Be book. Um, you're a podcast coach. You're a coach. Uh, you're a consultant. You're a musician. Would your younger self feel happy with the man I'm talking to today? <laughs> I, When I was, um, yes, in the end, um, <laughs> To quote the the Wittertainment podcast, um, uh, if well, no, never mind. I forgot what the phrase is. I'll come back to me. Um, it, oh, that's right. It'll all be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Yeah. Love that expression. So that's kind of, that's how I see this, this random series of events that I laughingly call a career. That's how I look back on it. Um, when I was 19, uh, 20 at Manchester Poly, um, there was the, uh, the the magazine had a, had a writing competition. Um, write your thoughts about Manchester, and I won that competition. Uh, Fifteen thousand students at Manchester Poly, and I was chosen as the best piece of creative writing. Mm. What you mustn't tell anybody is there were only three other entries. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, what was the best bit? About I was so, I was so crestfallen when I found that out. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the. Um, the uh, English literature lecturer who judged it and he when it went out in the magazine he wrote a bit of the line saying and you are doing an economics degree you'd be wasted in a bank Chris mm. and so when I was age 40 and I was diagnosed with a very mild form of depression <laughs> I took some time to work out what the hell was it in my life I actually took business coaching it's why I became a business coach because it changed my life and I had three sessions and what we realized at the end of those three sessions was that um i wasn't writing novels and that is what was depressing me so that's when i started writing with novels i published three i'm halfway through my fourth so that's why i say in the end yes the yeah. 19 20 year old self would have said you'd be wasted working about oh god yeah not me you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually i went through that i became an investment advisor. i did the financial advice thing but i've ended up specializing in money and happiness writing novels and i now enjoy life so uh, in the end in the end got there I love that. What a beautiful story. And you, in terms of uh, you, just, just, to, um, I'd love to know a bit more about you and being a musician, Chris. Tell me, what's your, what, what's, what's your kind of favourite type of music or what, what, what do you put on to make you happy? Oh, crikey, that's impossible to say. Um, I, I've got several, do you know what? I've, I've got, <laughs> I've got several thousand CDs and, and several thousand vinyl. Um, I worked out a little while ago that if I played the first track in my music collection, right, and I mm -hmm. carried on playing every single track without break mm -hmm. until I got to the very last track in my music collection, it would take 136 years to oh play it all. <laughs> What's the point of that? <laughs> Uh, it's about options, isn't it? Yeah. Number four of the financial well-being principles, having options in life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've got a few guitars. I've got um, the Ovation, my financial planning company, is named after my first guitar, an Ovation guitar. Mm -hmm. um, and I've got a few guitars. I've also got two unnecessary banjos. Um, 
I bought the first one by mistake um, when I was on eBay for the first ever time and didn't know what I was doing and I ended up buying a banjo. <laughs> um, it's only ever been on stage once, that banjo, and I took it on as a threat. Um, we were playing a gig and I put it on at the back of the stage and I said, if anybody doesn't dance, that banjo's coming out. Work the treat. <laughs> so you were in a band? I was for 10 years, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it covers a band called Munch 2. I've written lots of new music and... Uh, yeah. And now I don't, not, not do, I'm, I'm resting, as I to say. Yes, um, but, but, you know, I had a massive realisation um, whilst playing uh, the first ever time I went on stage. Uh, and I realised that I absolutely loved it, but I didn't want anybody to applaud me. Hmm. What I wanted to do was create the party. Okay. I love being on stage, but I love being at the back, watching the party happening because of what I'm doing. That I get huge joy from. But the moment it's finished, I'm quite happy to stink off at the back and go and have a quiet pint. And that is how I feel about the IFW. I love being sharing ideas, getting something going, getting something off the ground. Um, but I don't need applause, thank you very much. That's not what it's about. I just love to see things taking off and happening. And wouldn't it be amazing to to actually change a societal level the way that people think about money and happiness? That uh, that's that's a, a goal I absolutely share with you, Chris. Now we're getting towards the end of our chat, and I have no doubt we could uh, talk for hours, Chris. Um, and I've got two final questions that I ask all of my guests. And um, the first one is, what's been your best buy that's been under about say thirty pound or so in the last year? And it can be something for pleasure or something for utility. But what was it and and why did it cause you such joy or use? Well, that's quite an easy one, actually. Uh, that's a book. and mm-hmm. It's called The Book of Joy. Ah. And it's um, a, a transcription of a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu that took place at the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday about five years ago. Um, there's also a documentary there, cameras rolling at the same time. Um, it was actually on quite recently, so maybe I'm I catching saw it like actually, Chris. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Utter joy, isn't it? Mm. Utter joy. Um, apart from the fact that the two of them are hilarious together. Yeah. Um, just constantly teasing each other. They're just delightful. Yeah. But the book goes into a lot, of, lot more detail than, the, than the, the film does. Um, and it just opened my eyes to certain things that were just so obvious. And in many ways, I think a lot of what we're doing in life is unlearning. Mm. It's a process of getting, of stripping away the noise and the distractions that are around us and just getting back to the basic things. Um, and so, yeah, that book absolutely blew me away. It's been read several times. It's full of annotations and notes. Uh, I think it's absolutely wonderful. The Book of Joy. I'm going to definitely, that's already on my list, Chris, but I'm going to bump it right to the top because uh, <laughs> you talk so passionately about it. And finally, as if you haven't done enough of this as we've been speaking anyway, but what would your final money pearl of wisdom be for our listeners i like to leave them with something that they can take away from this conversation and either think about or act what would that be okay um, well answer the doorbell when it goes that's one of them um, <laughs> i thought it was the ice cream man. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay there's uh, there's so many but let's let's uh, there's a there's, if i can offer two that's not too cheeky Absolutely. um so one of them is a line that, that I, I quote all the time that's probably be a bit boring to some of your listeners which is financial planning is really very simple all you do is work out what you want from life and then spend your money on that yeah, like it and 
that's easier said than done, of course, because working out what makes you happy is not such an easy thing to do after all. But but that really is it in a nutshell. But I'll give a very specific tip because I really, really like this one. So if you see something, let's say you're walking down the street and uh, maybe you see another banjo or a guitar or whatever it might be. Um, something that you think, oh, do you know what? I'd really like that. Should I? Mm, should I? Wait. Wait two weeks. If you're still in your head, buy it. Mm-hmm. It's a really good tip for kids. Mm. Can I have, can I have, can I have? You know, well, ask me again in two weeks. And yes, um, the smarter kids will get get the hang of that, like mine didn't write it down, of course. But um, <laughs> <laughs> In their phones, note yeah. to self, yeah. It's a really good tip for yourself as well. Yeah. Um, sometimes maybe you actually really do want that extra guitar or whatever the thing is for you, you know, in which case, cool, buy it. You know, financial planning is not about not spending money. It's about spending money on things that are going to give you joy. Mm. So the two week rule is a really, really good rule to apply. um, And it helps you buy more stuff. And the (laughs) stuff that you actually want, I guess, isn't it? Rather than that shooting from the hip because um, something's caught your fancy. Brilliant, Chris. Chris, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you today. And thank you for being so open with your family stories. And um, I really love what uh, you and um, showing my hand here. Um, I've recently joined the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing to help well, you. Well, you beat me to it, Ruth. I was going to you thank you. Board. I was going to thank you and also Caroline Norton for your support and uh, and the time that you're putting into it. It's 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 uh, we've got a lot to do, yeah. but the stakes are big, and I think we can really make a difference, don't you? Yeah. I do. I do indeed. It certainly won't be for want of trying. Chris, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Bye for thank now. You. Thank you. Gosh, doesn't Chris talk with real passion? I too dream of the day when we in financial services realise that we have the key to help unlock happiness, both for individuals and for society as a whole. I also already have in my possession the Book of Joy, the book which Chris recommended, and I can't wait to start reading it. Now, just before you go, let me tell you about my next guest on Money Expresso. Now, if any of you Netflix addicts watched Call My Agent, during lockdown, you're in for a real treat. Call My Agent was a uh, French subtitled uh, series about um, agents working in the TV and film industry. Well, I interview for the podcast a lady called Holly Ryan, who, in my mind at least, is the real deal Andrea from Call My Agent. Holly is a woman of many talents and she fulfilled her greatest ambition of motherhood as a single woman using a donor and shortly after the birth of her first child was backed into a maternity rights corner leading her to start her own tv agency do you see what i did there she's got quite a story to tell make sure you don't miss it in the meantime stay covid free and well and i'll speak to you again soon bye for now So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you could take a couple of minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast platform to subscribe, rate, and review Money Expresso. This helps more people find the podcast so we can get more people thinking differently about their money and life. If you've got any thoughts, comments, or questions on any of the matters discussed, or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. 
Now, of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is merely to share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you.